0: Obviously,
1: you're not a golfer.
0: What kind of beer do you like? Heineken. Fuck that shit. Pabst Blue Ribbon. You take drugs, Danny? Yeah. Good. So what's the problem? I don't know. Really, 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 really well. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. Son of a bitch, stole mine. You're a cantaloupe.
2: I just read Sheriff Pepper, like the name, but in my head... Didn't read sheriff. Here, I Read in Sharif. <laughs> I went. Who the fuck is Sharif Pepper? <laughs> Sharif Floyd? <laughs> like
1: Omar Sharif?
2: I think I had Vikes Pepper. On the, vikes on the brain. Sharif Floyd. <laughs> now I'm gonna see Sharif Floyd. I'm gonna think Sheriff Floyd. Oh,
1: this, sheriff this, Floyd Pepper.
2: This is a pickle we've encountered.
1: I think it's easily avoidable in the future.
2: I'm not. <laughs> i not seeing it
1: that way. Well, welcome back to WTM Watch This Movie. I'm your host, Eric Mulder. Eric, he is a bad, bad man. I'm joined today by Mr. Alex Jones. Get him. Get him. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Let him watch. Let him watch.
1: I did not know if you're going to drop the
2: up the music first Well, we not.
1: decided that now that we're going to play the Sounders after, after the audience. I introduce myself. Yep. Okay. You want to do it again? No. Redo? <laughs> no. I'll just edit out that little dead space.
2: Ah, you're just rewriting history. <laughs> I see what you're about. I'm all about that. You the, don't keep it real.
1: Fake history.
2: So you're going to edit out this whole conversation about you editing it out?
1: No. I usually leave that in
2: but it's not there so the listeners would be like there was no dead space (laughs) half
1: of our episodes are comprised of dead space (laughs) (sighs) sweet talk to certain people all of it is dead space (laughs) what's going on here with the old Mr. MacBook Pro it just Uh, totally switched what I was doing maybe if you would installed that update
2: (laughs) it went we heard you bitch it you took, said you'll do it later and you're not gonna be on here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just clicked it back because it pulled the screen away like it was gonna bring something up, like you should, you know, sign up for this or, or update your shit. Yeah, update your whatever <laughs> needs to be updated. And then it was just sat there. So right. Computers. Crisis averted. Computers.
2: <laughs> uh today. What are Matt, we talking about today?
1: Uh this is a little this and a little that. Mm. mm. not into it. i <laughs> feeling it. Uh we're finishing up our slate of movies. Finish. What? <laughs> Finish movies? Like what Finland? No. <laughs> <laughs> Finish our slate of movies that cover black exploitation. And uh <laughs> what are you giggle about over there? <laughs> How about we start with this? Um, Finish. Well, have you listened to our the coffee episode? No. The dolomite episode?
2: No, I haven't seen them yet. I'm not going to listen okay. to you guys break down.
1: <laughs> Wasn't sure. Can't ruin it. Well, ruined. <laughs> <It's> ruined. <laughs> ruined. 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 Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I can't ask you that, but I can say I learned quite a bit about black exploitation. Um, different tropes and different common themes overcoming adversity against not just the white men but men in general especially for the female centered films mm-hmm. obviously when it was the male star it was yeah overcoming white people or just the system in general more likely or most likely so what's what what sparked the
2: exploitation era was there something that kicked it off? Or? Uh
1: not necessarily. Um I mean, yeah, it was February was Black History Month, but it wasn't just I want to learn about Black Exploitation because it's Black History Month. I
2: don't know. I mean the genre in general. Like what why did it come about?
1: Uh I guess supply you, and demand? You no. Know. Okay. I mean the exploitation movies started before Black Exploitation. Like I had talked about in previous podcasts, the wild one with Marlon Brando, in like '53, I believe, it was like the first kind of considered motorcycle movie. Mm-hmm. So there was a big, you know, chain of like motorcycle movies, and um, there's different, you know, exploitative subgenres like motorcycle movies, uh, black exploitation, uh, different horror, you know, zombie. You can get into if you get more graphic. Um, in your content, mm-hmm. you know, stuff that wouldn't wouldn't be rated R. You know, there's plenty of other genres that are just, would be regular genres, but since it's, you know, it's cranked up to 11, it's exploitative because it's a lot of violence or gore or sex, nudity, all that stuff. So that's why, you know, a lot of these black exploitation films have a lot of <laughs> violence and nudity. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's exploitative, it isn't, you could say maybe at the time it could almost be considered a novelty to see a movie with pretty much all black actors in it, because that's not something you would have seen at the time or before then. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there was black actors in films before then, but not to the extent where they were given. I mean, these films didn't have big budgets, but some of them were still like, you know, a million or two, which back then was still a pretty decent sized budget. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you didn't see movies like that with just all black actors, pretty much. Yeah. With just a token white guy here or there.
2: And aren't they exploitative because they're highlighting stereotypes, essentially?
1: Uh, you could say that. Um, I guess
2: that's how that's how I've always seen them. Now I haven't seen nearly as many black exploitation movies, but I mean, it's the one that came out not too many years ago. I'm drawing a blank. But it was essentially the same thing. I mean, it, it's... I don't know. I guess it's more funny now because not as racist these days. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It, I don't know. Well, it's, I mean... It, it, that's why I was curious how it came about a little bit because it's kind of an interesting genre that you could say is mildly racist in yeah, a sense. It's, I mean...
1: It's our thing to kind of pin down because, like, you could say, like, ask the question, you know, what started comic book movies? Right. And, like, if you had to answer that question, what would you really say? Would you be able to give a definitive answer?
2: What started comic book movies? Yeah. No, this first superhero, I suppose, bit in a film based off a comic book. I guess that's it. I think it's kind of like
1: once you get your foot in the door. Yeah. Then it's considered more normal or more accepted when yeah. you see more of those movies. So maybe it could have been for so a variety that, of different reasons. Yeah. Maybe there was just so happened that there was a couple of movies with more black actors than usual and it was a popular movie and they're thinking, "Hey, uh maybe we can have more movies with black actors or um just movies that are geared more towards black audiences." Yeah. Um trying to get, you know, some more money from those people.
2: Was there one that kind of you know, tipped it over, and just let it roll. Coffee was that the first kind of mo, you know, popular
1: one or um, something or what? Coffee was one of the big ones. I would also say Shaft was another big one.
2: Speaking of when I was on my way over here, listening to the current, I was playing Shaft. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of different factors. Yeah, it's true that not all of these. Properties and films are owned by Black people. Just run exclusively by Black people. There were some white people involved too, so you could say I'm sure some of them are trying to just make money off of Black people selling to other Black people. Yeah, no. but I mean, it's a lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot of what-have-yous. <laughs> <laughs> There's different ways to look at it, um, because, like I said, you know, a lot of people of color were involved in all stages of the process of making. A lot of these movies. Mm-hmm. So then, are you going to call them racist, or call them Uncle Toms, or anything like that? No,
2: I mean, I, I, yeah. I
1: I'm not calling them
2: racist. I guess. Yeah, uh, neither would
1: I. I'm just saying, you know, that's this is the art that they created, right? Reflective of their times, perhaps.
2: I was going to say, I assume, and I've done zero reading on like black exploitation genre or anything like that, but I assume it's probably based off of not feeling represented, you know. In the mm-hmm. modern stream of movies, in a sense. I mean, even like, I guess for a different example, what, John Waters films? Don't they say a lot of John Waters movies? What, Pink Flamingo? Mm-hmm. Is that one? And then Pink there's, a, they always say like, that's more representative of the counterculture. So, mm-hmm. like, people who are maybe more outcast seem to like those because it's more representative of a lifestyle they lead that, mm-hmm. you know, your modern mainstream movie doesn't do. So this is maybe just, you know, falls in a similar breath as that. Yeah. Maybe. That's why just I think, Just hinting though. at a different culture that probably wasn't seen at the time. But then even, like, we talked about Jackie Brown. It's like Jackie Brown is in exploitation traditionally, but it was inspired by those. Mm-hmm. And you could tell the difference, I would say, between black exploitation movies like Coffee and Dolomite. And I haven't seen them, but I've seen, you know, clips or... Posters and shit like that, mm-hmm. but
1: yeah, I guess you could say this is "Live and Let Die" is similar in that it's not, or similar to Jackie Brown, that it's not a straight up black exploitation movie, but it's influenced by it. Um, there's so many elements of black exploitation that are in Bond that we'll talk about in mm-hmm. a little bit, but that's the, that's the thing about Bond is Bond is always very reactionary and it always. Kind of gravitates towards what's popular at the time, and tries to recreate that or cash in on that. It's mm-hmm. like we've talked about, you know, after Star Wars came out, the next Bond movie was Moonraker because Star Wars is such a big hit. It let's send James Bond into space. It's also the same reason, like when you watch Casino Royale or Quantum of Solace, they look just like Jason Bourne movies. It's kind the of a action
2: that James Bond. <laughs>
1: Well, if you really think about it, the way yeah. you're
2: talking about it, it's almost like saying like
1: it's just copying. If there's everything. anything
2: popular at the time, we're just gonna turn it into a spy novel. Yeah, <laughs> so like that's I mean, that's kind of funny. I but mean, it, it also yeah. does represent. But I mean, a lot of that other stuff, I suppose, represents the culture too. I mean, we talked about how it'd be awesome to do a a series of you know series of articles on bond movies and how it relates to actual historical events that are occurring and stuff like mm-hmm. that, because it does purposely fill them in yeah to kind of, it relates to people, but if you look at it in a different way, it's like, wow, you're just, you're just selling out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's kind of, uh, cause didn't you also say the books, the
2: books aren't anything similar, at least the ones you've read aren't that close to how the movie actually is portrayed?
1: Some of them are. Some of them aren't. Okay. I mean, the earlier ones yeah. specifically. Obviously, the newer ones, the books Can't. are written. Right. The last book was written in the, in the 60s yeah. or late 50s, early 60s, something like that. Yeah. And like you could say, well, I mean, even like Moonraker is a book or at least a short story, one of the two. So they didn't make up the whole thing. Of like right. James Bond in space. And I haven't, met, I haven't read Moonraker. You know, maybe they just talk about shit in space and maybe he doesn't even go there. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm guessing he does.
2: Yeah. Well, let's hope so. <laughs> he goes to space camp.
1: But they update certain things like Casino Royale is technically kind of like the first Bond book. And a lot of the older Bond movies and all the Bond books, you know, he never plays poker really. He plays you know Baccarat or whatever. So they updated it to poker too because that was also popular at the time 2006 yeah. casino royale came out so yeah. they're making it around 2005 right well like chris moneymaker was like the big he was the guy who won the world series of poker in like 03 mm-hmm. and that set off the chain of hey this this dumbass can, can win the world series so can i it's so, like the next three four years even past 2006 i mean ESPN. Uh, ESPN still does a lot of World Series of Poker, but there was everyone was following World Series of Poker. There's all these poker shows. Fox Sports North.
2: Yep. And yeah, reality
1: could, poker shows, the celebrity ones that they you just watch celebrities play poker for an hour or two hours. Fucking stupid in my it was crazy. Well oh, I used to watch those shows. I used to play poker, but
2: I used to flick on the World Series of Poker from time to time. Mm-hmm. The other ones I would pass without a second thought. I guess I just didn't give a shit. I, I don't know, watching people play poker, if it's anything but, I guess, the World Series. If, I don't care what a celebrity <laughs> looks like <Yeah>. holding cards. <laughs> like, or they what's their tell, you know? Yeah. Do they have a tell. I don't even know what people talk
1: about when they watch poker, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you can see how that was obviously updated for the time. Yeah. And kind of cash in on that whole craze. But also, if you think about it, on the other side of it, when these movies started, Dr. No. You know, in 1962. Mm-hmm. There weren't any movies like that. I mean, yeah, there. Were, I'm sure there were. There was movies with spies in them, yes, but not to the extent. They didn't have the production value. They didn't have the action or stunts or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And you, you've seen Doctor No. It's been a while, but I mean, you yeah. you remember it? Probably thinking it was good, but nothing you know, special or like outrageous. But like for the time, for 1962, yeah. Like there's more action than people had seen in movies. Right. And like, even it's kind of funny watching Dr. No, because throughout more than half of the first bond movies, they usually play the typical, the generic bond theme. Like when he's doing something cool where he's like, you know, gliding through the air or, you know, doing some sort of a cool action stunt. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll like play that music. And then like the earlier ones, there wasn't as much of that. So like in Dr. no, like he'll be like walking through an airport, and he'll be like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and it's like he's just walking through an airport. But at the time, like, audiences are like, "Ooh, he's at an airport. He's gonna fly in an airplane. <laughs> That's fucking nuts." <laughs> I wish we could fly in an airplane.
2: I'd get my best
1: suit on, go to the airport. <laughs> I mean, you're like, yeah, there was people who flew back then, but the vast majority of people did not fly. Well,
2: no, and it was like, you got got ready to go to the airport. You did. Like, you Mm -hmm. dressed up, and it was like, you're going to take a plane to wherever. Today, you throw on fucking basketball shorts and sandals because you're like, well, it's going to be uncomfortable. (laughs) I need to be comfy. Back then, it's like, no, you're wearing your Sunday's finest on the airplane. Yeah. It's like an event type thing like that.
1: So you could say that. I mean, the early Bond films—you could consider them just exploitation movies, just like a subgenre, like a spy action subgenre. Yeah. Because you think about blockbuster movies, people point to Jaws in '75 for being like the first big like blockbuster, and like action movies, think of an old action movie. There really aren't like the, these would be considered action movies, and they were the most extreme action movies of the time. Yeah. So, I mean, pretty much every team, everything extreme, exploitative, you can kind of roll it all into one. And you get motorcycle movies, you get black exploitation, you get zombie movies, you get sex, just, you know, lurid, like, almost, like, early, like, more more mainstream porn, I guess.
2: What do you call, so, I think of Hostile, when Hostile came out, and what is that called? Horror porn. Torture porn? Torture porn. Yeah. That's what they refer to it as. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that just essentially the same thing exploitative uh, torture yeah but i guess mm-hmm. you can't have low-key torture yeah. so that's why you gotta have porn instead. keep of it
1: fun. on the downsies torture
2: <laughs> just like you know scratch him a couple times <laughs> that was in the 70s tap his chest hold him down with your knees and tap his chest
1: yeah and uh, like in the in the mid 70s to late 70s Like normal, it was more mainstream to go watch like a porn film after you know Deep Throat and some of those films, where people were like, "You can actually watch these movies for more than just the sex." Like people just pretty much watch it for sex, but there was more involved in it. It Was it wasn't considered as taboo because they were considered like kind of groundbreaking films. They're exploitative Mm -hmm. because it was a lot of you know nudity and sex, but there's other stuff in there. Kind of not to the. I mean. Yeah, there was films that were like, you know, Brock Landers and Chest Rockwell, but there were other movies that are a little more, I guess, I guess better production quality, a little more mainstream. They just had more sex in it.
2: Uh, it It's probably also because they didn't allow as much sexual content in regular movies Mm -hmm. back then Yeah, where they, you know, they talk about Psycho way back in the day, like. Her with another man? Like <laughs> that was like pushing the fucking In out. her
1: bra? A no, toilet
2: shot? <laughs> of the toilet being flushed. Yeah. It was out it was just out of control type thing. So maybe though Because I would say that Well and yeah. I mean you you have you have some, I guess, sexual stuff in I wouldn't say mainstream movies, but in well known movies these days, I suppose. With what uh Infomaniac series, and I mean, again, those aren't mainstream though, mm-hmm. necessarily. I guess the thing that throws me off a little bit with the black exploitation is uh, there's no other exploitative movie. You correct me if I'm wrong, or exploitative genre like those you mentioned, zombie and all that is race-based. Black exploitations, you're exploiting black. Right, that's the whole. That's the word. So you're exploiting the race and the culture. There's no what, white exploitation or Asian or yeah. Mexican or any of that. I guess. I think that's where it throws me a little bit. Because I think like
1: like people call the white race the generic race. Right. Just like you know, there's B E T. There's obviously no W E T. Just because you know, obviously that's considered. You know, some people. Well, you know, it's how you know B E T is racist because you can't have W E T. And it's like, well. I get I kind of get their point, but I also see that, well, we kind of are the generic race and most stuff is representative of white people Mm -hmm. uh, in media, not just TV, but movies. Yeah. So like to say it's exploiting black people, it's I think it's a yes and a no answer to that, because uh, like a lot of these are written, directed, acted black people. Mm -hmm. But others, you know, it's a a white person owns the film or directed the film or wrote the film. Is he racist necessarily for that film then? Since mm-hmm. there's black people in it and it's, it, it's not just exploding black people. It's also,
2: well, it like may- exploiting.
1: <laughs> I mean, you can exploiting means there's different shades of, I guess, of exploitation. Mm-hmm. Cause if, you're, if you just say you're exploiting somebody, that doesn't sound good. It sounds very bad and right. it is bad. Yep. But like with exploitation films, you're exploiting more of the fact that it isn't something's not shown. Because like the sexier films, you're watching it because it's something you don't see. So if you're watching a black exploitation film, it's because you don't see black people. Yeah. I mean, that's those aren't the sole reasons you watch or don't watch those movies, but that's like a big draw. So obviously that would be the exploitative element They're exploiting the fact that it's an all black cast. Yeah. That you don't see that. See something like that. Just like they're exploiting the fact that most people don't see sex when they go see sexy movies. So I think it's like, yeah, it's exploiting, but not in like the most sinister, like racist way you could think of. No. And I mean, and I guess I'm sure there were examples of that.
2: No, and I would guess even the movies mention there's Foxy Brown and, you know, Coffee and all that type of stuff. I, it's not saying that you're playing off stereotypes necessarily because the the hero and the villain in almost all of those, well, you tell me,
1: is black, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: So, yeah, I suppose you're not always playing off a stereotype necessarily.
1: Yeah, I mean, stereotypes, I'm sure, are in it. Right. But, I mean... I don't know. It's hard hard to, like I said, it's hard to pin down. Yep. A lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot of what have yous.
2: So when it comes to the day, that so can you have a female exploitation? Is Bridesmaids exploitative of females? Because you don't see all female casts or all female movies. Uh, Ghostbusters remake.
1: I guess you could call it an exploitation movie.
2: Since you don't see all female casts.
1: Yeah. Like, but I mean, also, you don't see, like, Glengarry Glen Ross is, like, the only, like, all-white male cast movie, pretty much. What? No. Glengarry Glen Ross. All-white dudes? No, all-white cast, all-white males. Yeah. So, name another movie that features just white males, not white females. There's plenty of movies that have just white people, but I'm talking just males, besides Glengarry Glen Ross.
2: Mm, I was gonna say saw, <laughs> but there's an Asian dude in there,
1: and there's a female
2: and a female,
1: <laughs> more than one. And, and I don't know, how a saw Danny Glover.
2: <laughs> a I horrible. was trying, because the movie's primarily two dudes in a fucking two white guys yeah. in a room.
1: I mean, there's certain movies where it's kind of a confined space, or like my dinner with Andre. Which I haven't seen, but seen I'm sure that. there's females in the restaurant, but it's pretty much those two males talking at They're dinner. probably in the kitchen, though, where they belong. <laughs> two white guys in the kitchen? No, you said there's
2: probably females in that movie in the restaurant.
1: Oh, the females. <laughs> I was like, why is it a stereotype for a white man to be in the kitchen? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, they're out near the money,
1: near the bread. So, getting back to Live and Let Die... Yes, we, uh, Jones and I have discussed in the past, kind of doing a whole series on Bond movies and how they relate to the times and cultural history and whatnot. We bonding through history, that type of thing. Yeah. This plays into that. This could be part of that series. We're not going to start that series right now, but if we, end up, if we ever do, we got Live and Let Die checked off the list.
2: Well, and you know, this actually plays into what? The rumors of who's going to play the next Bond, because haven't they... I don't know if they've said who will play the next Bond necessarily. It's still there's
1: Craig is still determining. Oh,
2: right, right. Uh, but they potentially said Idris Elba mm-hmm. is that's in the one running, the, so that would be the first Black Bond. Mm-hmm. You know that's one I of mean? the favorites. So, yeah, which I think would be kind of cool to see him play Bond. He'd probably do a good
1: job. Yeah, it's very because uh, people are also talking about oh there might be a it could be a female Bond. Yep. Which doesn't make sense to me. Just make a female spy character. You don't have to change. It's like uh, you know, changing somebody else's work. So like, why are you making James Bond female now? It doesn't make any sense. Well, but... To prove that you're not work,
2: sexist. Whose work are you changing? The Ian Bob. Fleming. Well, he, yeah, had, a, he, he had a white Bond. So if Idris Elba played, wouldn't you be changing yeah.
1: it? Also, Ian Fleming, <laughs> topic for a different day, and I'm not expert on Ian Fleming but uh he's probably a, at the very least a little misogynist mm-hmm. I mean you see all women are treated in his films <laughs> his earlier films why don't you uh take off it's man talk now a type of shit yeah. slapping women on the ass and being kind of rapey <laughs> Just, yeah but I think he might have been uh, a little bit of a racist or maybe not necessarily a racist <laughs> but at least a um he might have been a, a homophobic, because uh, there's a certain amount of James Bond characters or villains, yeah, that are kind of an ambiguously gay, perhaps. Like it's kind of ambiguous. Like they don't say out like they don't talk about villains being gay in like old Bond movies, but there's some that are it's questionable. Like you question it. it's ambiguous. Like I think you're supposed to make that leap that hey, I think this guy's gay, mm-hmm. and you know gays are bad or something that type of thing. <laughs> I don't know if it goes that deep, but there's, there's definitely several occurrences of bond villains where you're like, I think they're trying to tell us that he's a gay man, but I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, also in Skyfall, Javier Bardem is yeah. now that isn't um Skyfall isn't a book. Like Skyfall mentioned, but it's not a, a book. Skyfall is a place that has been mentioned previously in like a bond book. But that was like, you know, a new story. And obviously the the Bond people are not homophobes these days. <laughs> and right. So they weren't having Javier Bardem do that and put that kind of gay element in the character for that reason. It was more, I think it might have been to touch on the fact that in the past, previous villains have kind of possibly been gay.
2: Who was, uh? I think it was Casino Royale where the, Daniel Craig gets strapped to a chair, stripped mm-hmm. naked, and then his testicles are whacked, Yeah, too. Which is kind of funny. Mm. Taking away this Thinking of it in this context.
1: Masculinity, yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, funny thing you bring up, the misogynistic. So I told Sam that you uh, had uh, told her, or you told me that she would probably like the James Bond movies almost as much as Batman, just because, you know... And, it, it's a series, you know, you have your M's and you have your different tropes and stuff like that, like, because mm-hmm. she loves in Indiana Jones, and she goes, "Uh, maybe if not for, you know, all the, you know, demoralizing women and talking <laughs> down to them and slapping asses. And, you know, he's basically just a big man whore hooking well, up with...
1: A- <laughs> well, ask her why she likes Mad Men then. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, no, she was just saying, to compare, you know, Batman and James Bond is. No, I was saying Mad Men. No, no, no. The but show. before you said oh. Batman and James yeah. Bond, because there's so many similarities. And I told uh-huh. her, because they are interesting, the similarities between Bruce Wayne Batman and James Bond. And it's like, man, it's kind of interesting to think about.
1: It can't change history. Yeah. That's With, uh Yeah. How, I mean, it's not like it was only Bond movies doing that. That was how women were always treated in those movies, pretty much. Well, and we'll get to yeah. it. I
2: mean, he <laughs> tries to bang the one chick within five minutes of meeting her. <laughs> I figured out who you are.
1: Why don't we hit the sheets? <laughs> <laughs> it's even more so like it uh Roger Moore introduces more of a comedic element to Bond. Like Sean Connery Bond strong arms women a lot more than Roger Moore. Yeah. Sean Connery slaps them around more. And in fact, in real life Sean Connery has at least in the past he advocated for, you know, sometimes kind of women just need a little slap. That that type of thing. He's said that type of thing in interviews before. Doesn't surprise me. <laughs> so he's all for hit women. Roger Moore was the opposite. He actually was, he had a domestic abuse incident in his life, but he was the one getting abused. There was a big, I guess why I think is I don't know if his wife went to jail or what, but she was found to have been like beating Roger Moore. Jesus. <laughs> so those two bonds are very opposite of each other. And Roger Moore also wanted to reflect that in his series of films. You'll notice there's less, being rough with women that type of thing I mean,
2: a, maybe maybe that was the ch- he's the smooth the suave I mean there's still movies
1: found. where Roger Moore kind of there might be still a couple occurrences where he might slap a woman or uh, you know push her down to the bed or something like that mm-hmm. but it's much more so with Sean Connery in those movies Sean
2: Connery just seems to enjoy it more <laughs> is what you're saying <laughs>
1: but yeah there's a uh, I don't want this to get into, like, a whole big Bond episode. So we could go down a lot of different paths, explore a lot of shit. Yeah. So let's try and narrow it to Live and Let Die and Blaxploitation and exploitation movies in general. It's like we said, it's, you know, Bond is reflective of movies of the time. Um, Let's just give a little background on the movie. Uh, Today we're going to be doing, we're going to be reading the plot synopsis from Wikipedia, going through the whole plot. This movie came out in 1973 directed by Guy Hamilton who directed I believe 4 James Bond. He directed Goldfinger,
2: Diamonds Are Forever.
1: Yep. And one more, The Man with the Golden Gun. Yep, The Man with the, the So the film after this, The yep. Man with the Golden Gun was right after this. Some people consider him, you know, one of the best, if not the best director of Bond just because a lot of people love Goldfinger pretty much is what it, you know, boils down to, but great Bond director. Uh, this movie stars Roger Moore, Yafet Koto, Jane Seymour, Julius Harris as Teehee Johnson, uh, David Hedison as Felix, Gloria Hendry as Rosie Carver, Clifton James, Sheriff J.W. Pepper, oh, and we can't forget Jeffrey Holder as Baron Samity. I used to love playing Baron Samity in GoldenEye. <laughs> <laughs> if odd job was taken, I was going after Samity. <laughs> Everyone wanted job because he was so fucking tiny. Yeah. Couldn't hit him. And then there was always the the arrogant assholes like, I'm taking Jaws. Nobody can stop me. And then you'd stop him because he was Jaws. (laughs) He was slow as fuck. (laughs) He was massive. (laughs) Hell of a magnet for those bullets to attach to. (laughs) So let's get right into it here. This is uh, Roger Moore's first Bond movie. It was right after Diamonds Are Forever which they had Sean Connery come back for after George Lazenby was Bond in On Her Majesty's Secret Service So there's a lot of change going on at the time This came out Like you said, 73 I want to point out that year is pretty important Because some of the Dates of movies we talk about are right before then. The intro music Not the Live and Lead Die theme song But just Yeah, like it was a little They They uh, (laughs) They switch it up a little bit um, from movie to movie. It's always the same song, but somebody will put their own little spin on it. Like it's a lot more techno or like 80s and the Mm -hmm. 80s, that type of thing. It's a little jazzier, I thought, with this. I thought it was New Orleans. Yeah. I
2: I can't recall it, but I think I remember something.
1: It was a little jazzier 007 type of theme. And so, yeah, it's pretty reflective of New Orleans and where the movie is. Um, Also black culture because jazz figures into this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it starts out with this bizarre UN New Orleans intro. So you do you want to start the just the plot right now? Then, yeah, I'll read the first paragraph. It's a longer one. Three MI6 agents, including one on loan to the American government, are killed under mysterious circumstances within 24 hours of each other in the United Nations... New Orleans, and a Caribbean nation, San Monique, while monitoring the operation of the island's dictator, Dr. Kananga. James Bond, agent 007, is sent to New York City to investigate the first murder. Kananga is also in New York, visiting the United Nations and representing San Monique. Just after Bond arrives, his driver is shot dead by a whisper, one of Kananga's men, while taking Bond to meet Felix Leiter of the CIA. Bond is nearly killed in the ensuing car crash. Yeah, that covers a lot, so we'll quit there. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that jumped. So, yeah, uh, three agents get whacked off. <laughs> in, get the whacked. Bad, in the bad way. They get whacked in the beginning of this movie.
2: The better way to say it is they get beat off.
1: <laughs> That's the worst <laughs> way to say it. <laughs> they get masturbated off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Nice. The guy at the UN just pretty much gets like a high frequency signal, like sent into his ear, or his brain, yeah, and he's just like instantly dead. <laughs> the cool, uh, the coolest death scene is obviously, I think, the the parade sequence in New Orleans, where it's a processional for, or at least appears to be a procession for a funeral, mm-hmm. and there's just a guy watching, which is funny to me because, like, the CIA of these agents, like they're like the least stealthy of the agencies <laughs> the guy is literally staking out the flay of soul new orleans where this shady business is going on and he's just standing across the street staring at the building yeah that's all he's doing i don't know why he's not like looking at his cell phone or something <laughs> playing jacks (laughs) should be playing jacks yeah you should have been doing something old-timey you're just how about (laughs) sitting in your car or sitting in an apartment or like or not wearing a fucking
2: suit yeah i guess you can wear a
1: suit back then it's not as but he's the only person on that street
2: maybe not a black suit pick
1: just watching the building from across the street (laughs) doesn't make any sense (laughs) guy walks up to him and he's like whose funeral is it you know, then he stabs him. Yours. Oh, it's yours, yours funeral. Stabs him. It's your funeral, dude. He says. <laughs> <laughs> People in the casket walk over and they drop it down and they pick him up, which is a cool little shot.
2: Uh, the disappearing of bodies or being removed from certain sets is pretty pretty solid throughout yeah. the movie. Yeah, people disappear from sets. I can look split. Like this area has got a lot of escape holes, a lot of, a lot of traps set yeah. up,
1: <laughs> trap doors, secret yeah. passageways. Kevin
2: McAllister would be impressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: uh, I think with the in terms of the guy that got picked up by the casket, I'm sure there was just a bar in there that he grabbed onto and they just lifted it up. Mm-hmm. But it still looked pretty fucking cool. It was still solid. Yeah. Yeah. a lot of, lot of solid stuff in here. <laughs> <laughs> and also early on in the film, Bond gets his wall through PPK. It gets destroyed by Teehee and his bends cloth. That shit Yeah, bends the fuck out of it. And so he uses uh the dirty Harry pistol, the Magnum. Is it mm-hmm. forty four or forty five? Forty five. Forty five. When did Dirty Harry come out? 1971. It was all the rage. I mean, you think about it and say that even Dirty Harry might have been an exploitation movie. Because people didn't see action or like, I wouldn't want to say, I don't know what the word is. Not lewd content, but lurid maybe. Lurid subject matter of a guy, you know, he's a serial killer. was basically kind of based after the Zodiac killer. Mm-hmm. Which is the vibe you get watching the movie. But a guy's just assassinating, killing people. And it's, at the time, it was like The Wild Bunch came out in 69, I believe, or 68. That was considered like really bloody for the time. And like, ooh, this is so violent. Mm-hmm. Dirty Harry was also considered violent for its time. Yeah. So you could say it's kind of exploitative, but also a very popular movie. Yeah. Something that the Bond people wanted to cash in on. Um, Because they also, they wanted Clint Eastwood for James Bond uh, before they made this movie. And he turned it down and said it should be a a British guy doing it. Yeah. Which is right. It should be a British person. Um, But yet Rick Grimes has to be played by a fucking Brit. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. It's so funny, all the British actors that portray Americans, all they do is just make their voice really gravelly and that's it. It's like uh, Liam Neeson, Christian Bale is Batman. Like Daniel Day Lewis is like you know Bill the Butcher. Or yeah. Everyone just like this talks like this,
2: and this is all Americans talk. They're <laughs> <Or> fucking rough, <laughs> smoking
1: cigs. <laughs> I mean, obviously he changed it for Lincoln. And how about oh, four <clears throat> scores? You know, but you know Lincoln. Nobody knows what that he sounded like. So right. Uh, it's and- just kind of a little funny observation. I have no problem with Brits playing Americans, but. Sam Jackson does, though. Yeah, Sam Jackson, so Get Out. Plot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll have to try and bring that up in the next regular episode we do, but yeah. after we both see Get Out, hopefully.
2: I was going to say, just in the same vein as the other movies you were mentioning, for the time, and then Bonnie and Clyde, that was 67. Yep. They say that was kind of the first... I think it is. They, they probably use different words, but almost exploitative. Like, it was so violent at the time that mm-hmm. people are just blown back by it. Yeah. I mean, today's standards, it doesn't compare. I do say it holds up, though. When I've yeah. watched Bonnie and Clyde in the last, you know, five or so years, it's still pretty fucking... I mean, it, it does a decent job for the violence, especially for being a movie in 67. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. And I would say even Dirty Harry's more violent than Bonnie and Clyde. Really shows more blood. Yep. Um, so you could see right at that time there was a lot more violence right. in films. And uh yeah, cashing in on the Dirty Harry popularity, they switch Gond's gun, which is if you watch any of the other Bond movies, it's pretty much sacrilegious. All right. Bond always has his gun. All right. Or if he doesn't, it's another British type weapon. Yeah. Not that they're all British-made guns, but it's just the style of, you know, the the standard-issue guns at the time they were given to the agents, that sort of thing. Yeah. People in law enforcement, what have you? Of course, the bobbies—they don't have guns. The bobbies. Not these days, at, at least, bobbies. Yeah. They don't, they have, don't guns. have guns. I don't know how a bobby would stop me. That's what I'm. I've never been in my fight in my life, but. Bobby. So are they just gonna take out their little batons or something and just beat the hell out of me? They're probably some bad motherfuckers. Oh, I could they just run. I could they're run. I could outrun most of them. I'm sure they're very fast. <laughs> bobbies are very fast. Are UK listeners? We we've got a decent amount now. You should let us know. How easy is it to get away from the cops? From From the bobbies? No, no yeah, from the bobbies. American cops, especially nah. this is live and die you. Bond movie. So there's gonna be some Brits listening. Yeah, let us know. <laughs> I'm curious how they get people to stop and, like, get arrested. I think they're
2: just really fast
1: and good grapplers. <laughs> Maybe. Grapple masters. Uh, so, yeah, they're cashing on Dirty Harry's gun, since that was a popular gun at the time. Or as uh, Ordell Roby talked about, the killer came out, everybody wanted a 44 or forty-five, just like the killer. Yeah. 45's got a huge fucking jamming problem. <laughs> So, yeah, everyone wants to get guns of whatever popular movie just came out the year before. Yeah, but old
2: Roby, you know, he mouths words when he reads, so. Smirking he be.
1: They also tried to get uh, Burt Reynolds to play Bond. <sighs> that to no been... avail. <laughs> yeah, that probably would have been a bit much. But, yeah, um, let's start talking about uh, black exploitation elements that are infused in this before we get back to the story. First of all, this is the first Bond movie that didn't feature like a supervillain bent on world domination and things like that. This is about a drug trafficker in New Orleans. He's
2: just trying to corner the market.
1: Yeah, trying to corner the drug market. He's trying market. to slang it, he's trying to distribute it, he's trying to grow it. <laughs> he's cutting out all the middlemen. And drug trafficking is pretty much the main theme in most exploitation movies. Mm-hmm. Um, there's at least an element of it in most of them. We already did uh, coffee and uh, dolomite. Drugs were heavily involved. So, and also since then, it's pretty much there's a few here and there that aren't just world domination. Because like the next movie, man, the Golden Gun. uh, The Man of the Golden Gun is an assassin that is hired by different people to kill whoever. Right. In this case, he's hired to kill Bond. So it's basically a you know mano a mano Hmm. Bond against another assassin. So that isn't. Although he does have a little bit of a scheme at the end, but it's kind of convoluted. Like he has a, he kind of has his own layer and shit going on, but that's mainly not what it is. But back to Live and Let Die. Um, (laughs) Pimpmobiles. I'm going to play a clip here. This is from uh, Bond talking to Felix. Did you have the name of him again? Because he was the, I think, one of the only Felix characters to reprise his role of Felix. But he didn't do it until um, about 15 years later in a License to Kill, Timothy Dalton movie. He reprised his role of Felix in a second movie. Um, it was like Jack Lord was Felix in Goldfinger, I believe. He's from the guy from Hawaii Five-0, old mm-hmm. TV show. He played Felix. There's Obviously, there's a, a lot of people that have played Felix, but... I'm not seeing Felix on the cast list on IMDb. No, you're an idiot. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm looking here. I'm looking at Wikipedia right now. But yeah, it was uh, David Hedison Is Felix Leiter, and he oh, was known for uh, Leiter
2: on IMDb. Just as Leiter.
1: Oh, really? Yep. That's funny. It is funny. So yeah, um, they're talking. He's talking to Bond on the phone and uh, talks about pitmobiles. <laughs>
0: Hello, Felix. You know how I hate to trouble you, but I've uh, run into a little bother. You what? Get me a making a white pimp 347 Nelson David George.
1: Yeah, so you could say um, pimp was obviously a term of the time. That would describe a lot of vehicles in the black exploitation movies. Mm-hmm. We talk about all the pimpmobiles. I don't know if you'd call it... I mean, looking back on it now, would you call that a racist term? To call that type of vehicle a pimpmobile?
2: No, because it's more to the... I mean, I guess it depends.
1: If a non-pimp is
2: driving it, well, are, are you assuming? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: I mean, I guess it depends on... Not even just who's driving it, but just the, the type of car. Because, you know, maybe you know there's a white person driving it, but see, you say see, it's a pitmobile. It's a pitmobile. Just because it's associated with those big, long Cadillacs or Chryslers Yeah, I guess, I guess if you're are, associating,
2: yeah, with just the vehicle. I don't see why that's racist.
1: Yeah. So, so that's the thing. There's a lot of things that you're like, I don't know if it's racist or not, <laughs> but it's back in the day, so. It's probably racist. <laughs> It's before 1990, so
2: <laughs> man, nah, that is probably a hint of racism.
1: <laughs> or at least, you know, yeah, I don't know. I don't maybe know the writer, it. maybe the writers thought that.
2: They're like, if we just say Pimp Mobile, people are going to think we're racist. But if we say white Pimp Mobile, <laughs> people will be like, well, it's a white Pimp <laughs> and They'll be confused to the point where they'll just move on.
1: But yeah, it's um, so a little Pimp in there, honky. Yep. Mr. Big calls Bond a honky, which I actually have in the next clip. Um They also I don't know if you have
2: uh the mention of the Ku Klux Klan.
1: No, I don't have a I don't think I have that in a clip.
2: So the driver uh bond driver says to him, Hey man, for twenty bucks I'll take you to a Ku Klux Klan cookout Which seemed just forcing it. <laughs> <laughs> the mention of Ku Klux Klan, but it was
1: funny. Um, so, yeah, the clip I played was, you know, Bond talking to Felix right after the car crash, which is where we left off in the story. So let's, let's go to the next paragraph here. A trace on the killer's license plate eventually leads Bond to Mr. Big, a ruthless gangster who runs a chain of filet soul restaurants throughout the United States. It is here that Bond first meets Solitaire, a beautiful tarot expert who has the power of the Obia, and can see both the future and remote events in the present. Mr. Big, who's actually Kananga in disguise, spoilers! oh you jumped the gun, dude! <laughs> spoilers! Uh, demands that his henchmen kill Bond, but Bond overpowers them and escapes unscathed. Ah. <laughs> Bond flies to San Monique, where he meets Rosie Carver, a CIA double agent. Hey, baby. Spoilers! <laughs> <laughs> they meet up with a friend of Bond's, Quarrel Jr., who takes them by boat near Solitaire's home. Bond suspects Rosie of working for Kananga. Kananga. Uh, She is shot dead remotely by Kananga to stop her confessing the truth to Bond. Inside Solitaire's house, Bond uses a stacked tarot deck of cards that show only the lovers to trick her into thinking that seduction is in her future and then seduces her. Yeah, wait. Yeah, to trick her into thinking that seduction is in her future and then seduces her. Solitaire loses her ability to foretell the future when she loses her virginity to Bond and decides to cooperate with Bond as she has feelings for him and has grown tired of being controlled by Kananga. Does she say she's a virgin? They talk about it. Do they? I don't remember that. Um, I'm not sure if specifically her and Bond discuss that she's a virgin. But I know Kananga talks about alludes it. to it because he's bitching about it for like maybe a half hour yeah, about no, she's it's... gonna lose her power because there's a later on in the story and you know, we find out he's questions in him Yeah. questions him about you know having sex with Solitaire and if she's been tainted and all that cause she's gonna That's lose right. her ability. Yep. And she also says it forgot about that after having sex with Bond. I believe she alludes to the fact that she's gonna probably lose her ability to see now that she's <laughs> had sex
2: pretty weak ability on huh? i guess get it in <laughs> you get it out <laughs> <laughs> yeah how about that voodoo statue just fucking popping off old rosie carver that's yeah. pretty dope
1: yeah it's pretty sweet um rosie carver we get to her um first i just wanted to make sure we mentioned that in mr big's lair mm-hmm. the, the filet of soul um uh, you start to see a lot more like, I guess, pimpish type clothing or attire. So you could say that was kind of stereotyping, but I was also I mean, any black exploitation movie or any movie in general, you're showing black gangsters in the seventies. Uh, especially just, in Harlem or New Orleans, mm-hmm. they're probably gonna be shown like that. Right. That's Not to the, say yeah. that, that it was accurate, but that's oh, that's, that's, how char- it was. that's
2: also the character he plays. Yeah. Right? I mean he's a drug dealer slash pimp. I guess yeah. I guess never talks about being a pimp, but he's portrayed as. But one.
1: he's got the mobile. He's fucking portrayed as one. <laughs> the mobile. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he's obviously he's also doing a character because he is Kananga in disguise. Doing a. Uh... He's really putting on the acting too. Here I have a clip. This is Bon talking to Solitaire, uh, and, and right before uh, Mister Big calls him a honky and tells him to waste him. Oh,
0: fascinating. Well, that's you, quite obviously, a, an amazing resemblance. Tommy, am I in there as well? Pick a card. Turn it over. You have found yourself. No, I'm telling you, don't go there to L.A. and clean it up. I'm coming out there and clean you up, and I mean that. Is this the stupid mother that tailed you uptown? There seems to be some mistake. My name is Ames is for Tombstones, baby. Y'all take this honky out and waste him now.
2: He also has that just balling-ass sliding door that reminds you of <laughs> Texas
1: Chainsaw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sliding the <to> clothes on <laughs> Mr. Bond. Yeah, it's so funny the contrast of Mr. Big. It's uh, Kananga doing a, kind of a weird voice.
2: I was going to say, uh, I then, forgot about that when watching it, but the contrast between Bond's kind of character yeah. and it, just his demeanor and his voice and, like, Kananga or the – it's really Kanenga. Kind of like posh Mr. British. Yeah, it's like posh British Sensibility to polite. Mr. Big. It's just like, this mother honky, like, <laughs> loud and just animated and <laughs> – Honky is a racial epithet. <laughs> <laughs> popularized by
1: a man named George Jefferson in the 1970s. <laughs> see, even his wife Wheezy. <laughs> oh, Chappelle Show. I See, that's the thing. I would have actually thought about getting that clip just to play it mm-hmm. at this moment, but it's a t- television clip. I don't. I think we got to keep TV mm-hmm. clips off you, the you've board. you scolded me when I
2: brought up TV stuff before. So.
1: Which is also the reason I haven't put, like, scully saying Mulder from the x-files because i've seen i've i've been watching the series but i haven't gotten to the point where the movies are yet so i can only can't even do it i would say you can't even do it then x-files is too associated with tv but there's two movies though yeah i don't care if anything is associated with tv not into it it's fine if there's movies about it because then like what you can't do batman it was no, based it, off of a TV show. can have quotes that's, from Batman. That's two, that's two different
2: things. Mm, no. Batman has well established <laughs> itself as a film series. X Files has two movies. Yeah, but at the time it wasn't self established. Could I watch the X Files movies and appreciate them without the series? You can with Batman. I don't know. I,
1: I guess ask me after I've seen them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you can. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. I'm sure they at least the first one. I'm sure you could. What's You're David Duchovny
2: get... done in film besides
1: Evolution? Not in the it. Joneses. Do you not have the Joneses?
2: blu I guess he was in <laughs> California with a K. I think that's David Duchovny. Brad Pitt's uh, yeah. serial killer. Uh huh. I think it's David Duchovny. <laughs> Otherwise, Californication, TV show.
1: Yeah. What's it's the a, uh, what's the
2: lady what's well, what's the other lady's name? Uh, Scully. I forgot Scully's I name. That was
1: a Laurie Anderson or something.
2: Yeah. No. <laughs> Fuck her. She's for a TV podcast. So is X Files.
1: Jillian Jill- Anderson. Thank you. right? See. Yep, Jillian Anderson. Yep. Maybe you it's knew- pronounced <laughs> Gillian. <laughs> <laughs> Like Gillian Jacobs, like Gillian's Island. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, but anyways, we're off on a tangent. I wanted to touch on Rosie Carver, because she is pretty important for in terms of people of color represented in the Bond film series. Rosie or
2: <laughs> Rosie. Rosie.
1: Rosie. Rosie. Hi, hey, Rosie. Uh, Gloria Hendry is her name. Now she is not. She's technically not the first black Bond girl. In the previous film, Diamonds Are Forever, uh, there's a, a Bambi and Thumper or mm-hmm. two women, like women henchmen, basically that fight with Bond, and one of them is black. But so this one, so Rosie Carver is, she's kind of on his side kind of not because she's a double agent I mean she's kind of going against bond yeah but you yeah. know technically at least the facade is that she's on his side and they do have familiar relations yeah it was the first it was the first time that it's
2: pretty progressive at bond the time. yeah
1: what would, would have been progressive at the time mm-hmm. first time that bond um, was shown you know kissing or having sex with a, a woman of color.
2: Bond doesn't see color. He doesn't see color. He didn't need to be convinced too long that he was going to bed
1: with yeah. Rosie. Yeah, he doesn't. Um, she
2: pretends to be his wife, gets into his hotel room. Bond rolls in, sees her, and is like, oh, you're an agent? That's cool. Well, let's go to bed. <laughs> um,
1: I got a clip from there. Why don't I just play the clip? It's called Rapey Bond. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Better stop
0: by getting your head together. Mm. <laughs> There's a mirror in the bathroom. Yes. Yeah. You're only my second mission, you know. My first was Baines, the agent who was killed. It's a relief to know I'm next in line for the same kind of aid. <coughs> there's a... Oh, this Oh, a snake. I forgot. I should have told you. You should never go in there without a mongoose. Oh, I should have never gotten into any of this. I'm going to be completely useless to you. Oh, sure we'd be able to lick you into shape. Well, it's uh, getting late, Mrs. Bond. Tomorrow is going to be a very busy day for us, you see. Cananger is protecting something down here, something which uh, Baines obviously discovered. You're going to show me the spot where Baines' body was found that i'm afraid he leaves us tonight to uh, catch up on old times felix told me there'll be moments like this what did good old felix suggest if all else failed cyanide pills i settled for two bedrooms
1: so also progressive for the time because women at this time women didn't turn down bond yeah, that's very true. They didn't turn him down. Well, some of them kind of resisted, and then he was just like, mm, "It's gonna happen." <laughs> 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 but, um, she was like the first one that was like, "No, we're not gonna have sex." And then they do kind of later well, when they they're do. when they're on the island. Yeah, you see them like making out, and then I think it's supposed to be assumed that they had sex. Right. But yeah, that was a big kind of a breakthrough. Um. She wasn't the first one, a black Bond girl that I saw. I actually saw Grace Jones in A View to a Kill first, because I saw that before this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, my mind was fucking just blown, because hmm. I was, like, five years old and didn't know, like, things about color and race and yeah. that there's a whole history of <laughs> shit behind all that stuff. Yeah, Social constructs and all that. But uh, Gloria Hendry... Uh, she was also in Across 110th Street. Ah. So, which also, you know, we talked about in Jackie Brown because uh, Yafit Koto, mm-hmm. Kananga, Mr. Big, he's he stars. He's the main star in Across 110th Street along with Anthony Quinn. Um, Gloria Hendry, after Live and Let Die, she was in Slaughter's Big Ripoff, Off, uh, Hell Up in Harlem, Black Caesar, Savage Sisters. Black Belt Jones. Pretty much all uh Black Exploitation movies. Mm. So obviously she fits into the Black Exploitation element of the film, as does um Yafet Koto and Julius Harris. Julius Harris plays Teehee. Tee-hee. <laughs> Teehee with the claw. He was also in Superfly, which came out right before this mm. in seventy-two and then after that well that's right he was in uh, he was also in Black Caesar he was in the taking of Pelham 123 which I wouldn't say it's a black exploitation film but that was kind of an exploitative type film back then um, but Friday Foster, Pam Greer Friday Foster also stars Yufford Koto <laughs> so that's what we're trying to say with these the exploitation element it isn't just certain themes that are In Bond, in this Bond movie that are in other black exploitation films, it's also all the black actors were in like a shit ton of black exploitation films. So they took pretty much all the actors from those films. And yes, a lot of these are after Live and Let Die, but at least one of them, all of them have at least one black exploitation type film before they did Live and Let Die.
2: Because
1: Yafat Koto, um, go to his filmography. Yafet Koto co-starred with Pam Greer and Friday Foster. Um, Friday Foster is about uh Pam Greer plays an ex model, like photographer. And she goes to like an LA airport to photograph the arrival of some Blake Tarr, I guess is his name. He's the richest black man in the world, type of thing. And there's like an assassination attempt. So Yafet Koto is plays Colt Hawkins, so I guess I'm not sure if he's the subject or if he's just like a a cop or something or a gangster or what but they co-starred in that together they got those two have the top billing and then if you look at his earlier work like i said across 110th street and then i mean he's been in a lot of more famous type movies he was an alien in 79 oh yeah i remember um, seeing that which i mean i don't know if you'd call that exploitation movie it's just more no it's just sci-fi. Sci-fi just horror. Nobody, yeah, nobody had pretty much put horror and sci-fi together. That's pretty much why genre it's different crossing. Yeah. yeah. Biafakoto yeah, also in a movie called. Well, he did a movie called The Limit, but I haven't been able to find much info on it. But I think he like wrote it, acted, like directed it, type of thing. Hmm. Um, Bone. In seventy two. Uh, which is he plays a thief that breaks into the home of a wealthy, happily married Beverly Hills couple. Uh, he soon finds out that the couple is not as happy as they seem, and they're not as wealthy as they seem. That type of thing. So it seems like it's a you know, a black man breaking into like a, you know, I'm guessing white. It's Beverly Hills, so it's got to be white people's houses back in the seventy-two. Probably for that stereotype or whatever. So that's another black exploitation film. Then after this, he was in Truck Turner which we mentioned on Jackie Brown episode, had a song from Chuck Turner, uh, a line from Chuck Turner. And then he was in The Monkey Hustle in Drum. And then they started getting into, like, you know, Roots and Alien and Othello and a lot of other stuff. So, yeah, they're all... All these actors are heavily involved. And even, like, my favorite character is Whisper. Let's, uh... I got a little clip of Whisper. Whisper is... His name is Whisper because he pretty much just whispers when he talks (laughs) and uh, he works for Kananga and here's a clip of him when he gets into Bond's room and he's posing as a hotel clerk dropping off some champagne or whatever. Yeah.
0: Anybody home? Your champagne, sir. What was that? Your champagne Put it on the table thanks. Shall I open it? What? Shall I open it? Oh no no I can manage. Thank you.
1: you yeah, Thank you. Oh thank you. yeah I had to crank the audio way up for that. <laughs> <laughs> and then like turn it down for bond of course let's see here whisper where are you whisper oh i should also point out and you know, when they're on the boat you know, coral jr mm-hmm. do you recognize the name coral it's a bond character and no. dr no when they go down to around cuba they get Qu- coral is the person of color the black gentleman who it's his boat that they go on and he's like friends he's friends with bond yeah. Like they go way back, you know, have some history, you know, that they don't really, you know, get into. Yeah. He's another friend of bonds like um Felix kind of. Right. But also in Doctor No, Coral dies in there once they get to the island. So Coral dies. So this is Coral Jr. and he's credited as Coral Jr., so that's how they hmm. have a friendly relationship type of thing. Almost like they knew each other. Because you know, uh Rosie Carver sees that He's uh, or she thinks that he's about to kill Bond, when he's not. Wherever she right. pulls the gun on him on the boat. Yep. He's like, you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> right. So that's that's another thing that goes into backing up Rosie Carver is not necessarily all against Bond. Because she's going to protect him. Because she tried to him. save his life. True. Yeah. On the boat. But she kind of succumbed to the pressure of the drug dealers. Uh, let's see, Whisper. Where are you, Whisper? Just want to give him his name. It's Earl Jolly Brown this is his name. He is quite jolly. He reminds me of uh He was also in Black Belt Jones. Huh. Eh.
2: Reminds me of um Mark Henry, sexual chocolate from wrestling.
1: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <We're> <laughs> the strongest man. Uh, that one's for you, Brett. <laughs> Listening, Wolfie T. That one's for you. Let's try and get farther along in the story here. Because, yeah, we played that rapey Bond um, clip. It also doesn't give a full picture because as he's starting to talk to her, he's kind of positioning himself behind her, putting his arms around her shoulders, getting a little grabby, so to say. When she shoots
2: him down, he's about two inches from her face.
1: (laughs) Hmm. All right. Let's get back to the story at hand.
2: One thing that that synopsis didn't cover was they found a Queen of Cups tarot card. The morning after, Bond finds the Queen of Cups tarot card sitting on a chair by their hotel room. And later, after Rosie and James are rolling around making out, uh, he calls her out for being deceitful. Because that's what the Queen of Cups tarot card means. Mm. Which he knows. I have no idea why. Pacino? He knows. Huh? Bacino? Bacino. Bacinos. Bacinos. <laughs> Al Bacinos. <laughs> and then that's where she runs off and gets shot by a voodoo statue.
1: Yeah, and then uh, then Bond beds Doctor Quinn, medicine woman, and yeah. she she can't see anymore. And it's so funny that it's another she can't see through her third eye. To be correct, exact. Well, yeah. She's but, not blind. Well, because her third eye is plugged now. Right. <laughs> James
2: Bond's dick.
1: <laughs> but, yeah, I thought it was also kind of telling of the time and how women were treated and that after she has sex, that is literally, like, all that's on her mind. There's, like, three times after that where she... Like says like some double entrandas or some like leading language like can we just fuck now mm-hmm. that type of thing it happens like two three more times that seems like she's all that's all she's thinking about she oh. just wants to have sex with Bond one of the lines because she's pushing for her, that Roger Moore says is
2: no sense getting off half cocked <laughs> and then they bang again it's like geez <laughs> it's
1: a little aggressive I mean some of that is because well she's never had sex before so I'm guessing she'd well, have a lot of sex then. <laughs> Yeah, but. but also if you're going by that notion, she would also be sore and therefore not want to have sex I, for a little while right. after the first time. Yeah, so it goes back and back and forth. Roger Moore's just got that, got that good day. I got that good day. <laughs> <laughs> so Rosie Carver's dead. She got shot by the voodoo statue thing. Yeah. Uh, we're going to pick up where Bond picks up Solitaire. So Bond and Solitaire escape by boat and fly to New Orleans. There, Bond is captured by Kananga. It transpires that Kananga is producing two tons of heroin and is protecting the poppy fields by exploding San Monique locals' fear of voodoo priest Baron Samadhi and the occult. Through his alter ego, Mr. Big, Kanaga plans to distribute the heroin free of charge at his filet soul restaurants, which will increase the number of addicts. He tends to bankrupt other drug dealers with his giveaway, then charge high prices for his heroin later in order to capitalize on the huge drug dependencies he has cultivated. When Kanaga finds out that Bond slept with Solitaire, he turns her over to Baron Samedi to be sacrificed. He is angry because her ability to read tarot cards is gone and he wanted to be the one to take her powers away. Meanwhile, Kananga's one-armed henchman, Tee leaves Bond to be, eaten, to be eaten by alligators at a farm in Louisiana backwoods. Bond escapes by running along the animals' backs to safety. After setting a drug lab on fire, he steals a speed bone and escapes, pursued by both Kananga's men and Sheriff J.W. Peppa and the Louisiana State Police. So, first thing I want to touch on, how about we start with, well, he hang glides into the island, and then he escapes. <laughs> I think that's when he escapes on the double-decker bus. Yep. Yep, because they try to play it off like she was just a passenger on the bus, right. and then he drives it. And he obviously, he goes underneath the low bridge that takes the top off. Which is a
2: pretty fucking sweet scene. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that was a pretty cool way to stop the cop car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um they do that type of thing in their car chases in various bond movies mm-hmm. they will have something fly off and then the same thing happens in like golden eye um there's a bond goes over a statue in a tank and partly the statue is like sitting on top of the tank mm-hmm. and then the the statue gets stuck in an overhang because it's kind of a lower bridge the tank goes away but the Statue stuck, and then once like the people that are chasing them get underneath it, the statue falls right on the cars. Hmm. They do that shit all the time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a common trope with their car chases, but exciting and fun nonetheless. Yeah, and then like at, right after the escape, Bond goes, "Where do you want to go?" And she goes, "Anywhere. There's one of these," and points to, like a bed. Yeah, yeah. You know. Or after yeah after the escape or whatever, she's trying to get it in. It's just all there. Yeah, that's all she's about. That's all she's about fucking can't see anything
2: except that dude
1: um so then once they get captured again by uh kananga we have the finkel and ihorn scene where he rips off his mask to reveal that he's
2: and he gets captured Mr. by
1: going through the floor Remember? yeah he does
2: he goes well into, he, he goes gets in...
1: captured twice right. through revolving doors one he sits in a booth He gets spun around. He gets spun around. The second time,
2: he goes back to fillet his soul, and the floor below, his partner gets up to go to the bathroom, and then the entire floor below him just sinks down. Yeah. And then it replaces, and then they come out with a new table and chairs. (laughs) Yeah,
1: which is sweet, because it happens quick, and you're like- Pretty fast. Everything happens, like, really- And the camera shot's
2: pretty solid from from when he's sinking into the floor. The camera's from below, so you're kind of sinking while the singer that was on stage is staring at him. It's a pretty cool shot for 73.
1: Yeah. Um this movie is just plumb full of trap doors. Yeah. Baron Samedy, I'm looking at you buddy, <laughs> dropping down that grave. <laughs> um actually, while well, I'm organizing my thoughts here, would you, you want to talk just give a brief explanation of Baron Samedy cuz he's not just like a Bond character? Yeah. Is that like a real well, Quote-unquote real character.
2: Yeah. So Baron Samity is actually, th- it's the character's name, but the, uh, the name Baron Samity is actually based off of one of the Loa of Haitian voodoo. And a Loa, L-O-A, is essentially a spirit of Haitian voodoo. Um, and it's basically a reincarnation. Uh, he has different incarnations. There's Baron Cimeteria, Baron LaCroix, and Baron Criminelle. Uh, but he's usually depicted with a top hat, uh, black tail coat, dark glasses, and cotton plugs in the nostrils because this is supposed to kind of resemble what a corpse is dressed like and prepared for burial in the Haitian style. Um, usually has a white, frequently skull like face and speaks in a nasally vo- voice. Uh, He's noted for disruption, obscenity, debauchery, and having a particular fondness for tobacco and rum. So he's a partier. He does what he puts on whiteface. It's a little <laughs> creepy. <laughs> my kind of fucking, guy. He just rips. He just, you know, smokes cigs and drinks Captain Morgan.
1: <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> rum is my favorite of the liqueurs, yeah. I think. Well, not to drink. Just I guess just a mix. But anyways, uh, speaking of Baron Samity.
0: <laughs>
1: get that great laugh <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to have another clip here from when Kananga slash Mr. Big is confronting Bond about you know if he fucks Solitaire or not um, let's listen to this clip um, this is after uh, to try and figure out if Bond slept with her or not He's trying to test her ability to see the future or see the present in certain yeah. ways. So he reads. He takes Bond's watch and he reads uh, what is apparently the serial number. He reads off a series of numbers or letters or whatever, and then asks Solitaire if that's correct or not. And we don't know if he, he made makes, up the serial number or if he didn't until he really he says make
2: a, he really makes the question hard by giving her a yes or no. Yeah. <laughs> yes or no? What is it? <laughs>
1: So here's just a little clip from there.
0: So dear, why? I treated you well. You lacked for nothing. I didn't understand what you... Mr. Ponds, watch my dear. I gave you every break possible. You had a 50-50 chance. You weren't even close.
1: (laughs) So he goes, I gave you every every break possible. You had a 50-50 chance. And you weren't even close. That doesn't make any fucking sense to me at all. If it's a fifty-fifty <laughs> chance, you're either right or you're wrong. It's coin flip. Yeah, heads there's no tails. There's no close. Yeah, there's it's... no close. You weren't even close. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah. If you're gonna get it, if you get it wrong, <laughs> yeah, you're like... obviously the opposite of the right answer. So I guess you if aren't close. Only one. But there's not really a degree of closeness. <laughs> Weren't even close, Solitaire. <laughs> it's like, what? what is he talking about?
2: You were kind of close because you hesitated. <laughs> I thought you were
1: going to say the right answer. And then you didn't. Kind of close, but you're still wrong. So at first he plays it off like she gave the right answer. And then he's like, no, nah, you didn't get it right. Now you're going to die. <laughs> you're used, you're abused, and now you're dumb. <laughs> yeah, I think he uh, slaps her, slaps her around. Yeah, I think he does. You know, he gives her the pimp the slap.
2: I made the note of that.
1: Yeah, the pimp slap.
2: Pimp slap backhand.
1: Because he was like, you know, I would have given you everything. I would have given you love eventually. Because his master plan was <laughs> you, to use her for, you know, tarot reading for like the next I don't know, fucking twenty years until he decides he wants to have sex with her. And he's like, and No, then, I'm ready for
2: love. Yeah, then <laughs> ready the for market, love. All the families. I assume they're talking about mafia families. or out of the mm-hmm. picture. Now I'm ready to have some love.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, that didn't make much sense, but I guess I kind of <laughs> see what they were getting at. Uh, then we get to the crocodile scene, or I should say alligator scene. Is it crocodiles? I mean, if it's Crocs. in the South, it should be alligators. They say crocodiles. Though. But, yeah, maybe it's just a crocodile farm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, actually, that was a real crocodile farm. It looked like there was it. was a private family that had that, and they were driving along, and that trespassers will be eaten. Like, all that stuff was already there. That's what they saw, and they're like, hey, let's check out this place. They like, oh, goes, is this Disney World? <laughs> <laughs> so they did that, and then uh, it's a really pretty sweet scene. Obviously, they use a stuntman for some of it, and then, like, fake crocodiles when he's, like, jumping over them or, like, <laughs> landing on them. That wasn't real. Well, actually that part kind of was there was like a there was like a wire cuz the guy actually got his feet were like kind of snapped like a gator or a crocodile snapped at his feet like the last they did it like three runs or something and his crocodile snapped his feet like the last time and i don't know, it didn't injure him seriously i don't know if maybe just kind of nicked him a little bit sure. or like maybe got part of his shoe yeah. they're like oh that was the last take <laughs> no more very good after that but i mean the shot to set up that there were because there's different shots that show, oh, look, there's four crocodiles perfectly yeah. lined up in a row. And that shot, you can tell they just have fake, like, floating crocodiles to make. Because it's kind of hard to teach four different crocodiles to all line up. Right. Like, in, you know, synchronized fashion. Yeah. So they used dummies to kind of put them all in order. And then they had a few crocodiles laying there when they ran across. Huh. I believe there was, like, a some sort of a wire up top that they could grab onto as they're running across. Oh, but okay. That's kind of how they did it. So he did kind of run across crocodiles more or less, not Roger Moore, but right. Um, yeah, it's a cool scene. When he, he leaves, it turns into the longest boat chase fucking ever <laughs> cinema history. <laughs> it is. It's a cool boat chase scene. There's yeah. Just, like, it's like different very cool. stuff that happens. Yep. But it's like you're sitting there watching, like, "Fuck, this is going on for a long time." <laughs> I figured out it is a 13 minute boat chase. Feels like
2: it. <laughs> yeah. Feels like there. It is long. Minutes.
1: When you think about action sequences and like favorite movies, but oh, this—that's kind of a long chase. So you look it mm. up, it's like, oh, this is like seven minutes, and that's like a long, long fucking chase. Right. This is about double that.
2: Well, you got you got Billy Bob, you know, Sheriff's brother. he got the
1: fastest boat. Yeah. Let's in meet. South. Sheriff J. W. Pepper. He's also in the next Bond movie, a *Man at the Golden Gum*, as he's he runs into Bond while he's vacationing abroad. I believe it's in like Thailand or something. But uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> Sheriff J. W. Peppers is just a perfect incarnation of Southern stereotypes, racism, oh yeah, all that stuff. Boy, boy, uh, yeah. No. When he talks to the the black guy that was pulled over trying to head off bond yeah during the chase he's just boy this and boy that even billy even billy bob sheriff's brother
2: is the one gang the one black gangster walks up on him and then he steals billy bob's boat remember mm Mm-hmm. and he even billy bob was like what do you need boy something like that it's all the white dudes in the south
1: (laughs) boy Yeah, like I was talking to you off air, it's like it's not just the fact that it's racist that he called him boy, probably. It's more so that he does it almost like with like a racist tone with it, too. Or Maybe just the
2: southern accent makes it seem more racist. It's a southern accent, and I think it's just inherently demeaning (laughs) to call somebody boy. And then it's racist.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So here, let's meet a little bit of Sheriff J.W. Peppa, our last clip. Peppa on Peppa on (laughs) Peppa.
2: You got
0: a set of wheels you just won't quit, boy. If there's yours, that is, Uh huh? Spin around, boy. Ten fingers on the fender. Legs apart. I'm sure this ain't exactly your debut with this sort
2: of thing. You picked the wrong parish to haul ass through, boy. Nobody cuts and runs on Chef J.W.
0: Pepper. And it's him speaking by the by.
2: You know. know, I forget how many times he drops boy in that <laughs>
1: fucking whole. It's like a period for him. Yeah. And then like, you know, He's insinuating that he gets arrested a lot. Like, I'm sure you've been through this before. Yeah. And it's like, huh. <laughs> so, the comic relief in the early 70s was also just racism. Racism. <laughs> <laughs> Although, J.W. Pepper does get his come up ins, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Just like the other uh, Blacksplatation movies, whenever someone is overtly racist, they usually got their come up Yeah. Um, and he also gets in the next movie, too. And even Bond calls him boy in the next movie, which is pretty funny. But, yeah, he does provide some comic relief. Uh, it's pretty funny that the uh, boat, you know, lands in his car and then he's fucked. Yeah. And then he kind of does the same act on those two other, like, white cops that show up. Yeah. When he commandeers their vehicle. Um, but, yeah, that uh, it wasn't much of a roadblock. They try to do, like, the roadblock. They just jump the road. <laughs> to get into like the next tributary or whatever and then they try to put up some boats there's like a roadblock in the river yeah and they just like right Go through boat. <laughs> <laughs> It boat was like the easiest thing ever yeah but, yeah sweet boat chase 13 minute boat chase and then i remember <laughs> there's like four or five boats chasing bond they keep on going over like stretches of land like keep on jumping in like little ramps of land that are separating all these little tributaries and swamp lands and things mm-hmm. like that and the one guy if you notice there's like four boats that just go straight through like is between like two trees yeah, and just a little bit of a ridge that they're jumping into the next body of water and one of them just like hangs a big left and runs right into a tree <laughs> and it's like it wasn't he wasn't dodging anything he was like the last eye showing up and then he just loses control and just flies right that, in the middle of the tree something in his eye I was wondering, I was like, how the fuck did he hit that tree? (laughs) And then we can probably, let's finish the rest of the story here. Okay, Bond travels to San Monique and sets timed explosives throughout the poppy fields. He rescues Solitaire from the voodoo sacrifice and throws Samadhi into a coffin of poisonous snakes. Bond and Solitaire escape below ground into Kananga's lair. Kananga captures them both and proceeds to lower them into a shark tank. Bond escapes and forces Kananga to swallow a compressed gas pellet used in shark guns, causing his body to inflate and explode. uh, Later puts, uh, Felix, puts Bond in solitaire on a train leaving the country. Teehee sneaks aboard and attempts to kill Bond, but Bond cuts the springs on his prosthetic arm and throws him out the window. As the film ends, a laughing Samadhi is revealed to be perched on the front of the speeding train.
2: Just being disarming, darling.
1: He's <laughs> got always got the best lines. He's fucking <laughs> just got him <them> clicking. <laughs> First, I just want to get this out of the way. He's wearing my favorite Bond outfit, or of, of all the Bond movies, with the black turtleneck and the brown oh. leather holster, <laughs> the black yeah. pants. Fucking Banff right there. Very dope. They, they tell they you don't wear brown sweet. and black, but you can wear brown and black like that you can. If you have a
2: holster, you can wear it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and Daniel Craig recreated that look in Spectre, the you last know. Bond film. And, yeah, that's a pretty cool scene. So there's, like, a sacrifice. They already did that. The other, the three people that die in the beginning was the UN guy, the guy outside the Flay of Soul. They got picked up by the parade, mm-hmm. and then the third guy that was being um, killed by these voodoo people.
2: Sacrifice. tied up. And...
1: Yeah, there was like a snake that they yeah. kind of made it, like they they hit him with it's the venom.
2: A, yeah, venomous snake. They have solitaire basically in the same position.
1: Yeah. So it's about to happen again. Samity always rises from his grave. They knock on the gravestone three times, which we just learned there's a guy downstairs this just listening <laughs> with like a button to yeah. lower and
2: it's pretty cool that they show that. I thought, yeah, like that was just cool. a big fucking hoax. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> although it is very strange. Um, this is the f- this is the first and only Bond movie that deals with supernatural elements or themes. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that Bond first shoots Samity in the head like is but it's like a, almost like a ceramic head, like the. Half of it's blown off, yet Baron Samity's face is still moving. His eyes are still moving. He's laughing. Yep. And then, like, he blows it apart, and then another one pops up from the ground. Right. Like, gets blown apart or whatever. That's pretty cool. And then Samity comes over, like, the real Samity, kind of. We we only say real because we just know that it's that's the actor. So when we say real Samity, it just means we know that's the actor and not a fake yep. like porcelain or like shell casing of Samity right um the only thing is that fight was a little lackluster I thought I was like this is gonna be fucking sweet, but then again, he's a voodoo guy that they're not gonna like he's not gonna know martial arts he's not, not gonna a, be able to gra you know grapple with them,
2: yeah, I thought the same thing, and then the more I thought about it it was like well he he's
1: not a f- he
2: doesn't fight that way, yeah, yeah he, he puts fucking. What curses on people and shit like that mm-hmm. isn't going to go to fisticuffs. fisticuffs. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, and it was pretty good. what fucking
2: Whisper and tea are there for. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it does make sense that he gets killed by poisonous snakes when Bond throws him in the right. pit. <laughs> but then he's alive again at the end, sitting on the front of the train, which some people don't like just because it's a supernatural theme and kind of takes you out of it. Because, you know, Bond's, I mean, Bond's never really realistic, but it's supposed to be under the guise of being realistic, that type of thing. Right. Something that's possible. Yeah. And
2: I guess it didn't really bother me that he popped up at the end in front of the train because it's not like he's going to start his own drug dealing organization and <laughs> then corner the market. Like, that's not what he does.
1: <laughs> he's just there to <laughs> basically do crazy like, shit.
2: Well, if you come to Haiti or San Monique, if you come there or New Orleans, well, I might, you know. I do some voodoo shit to you.
1: San Monique is a fake island. I is wanted it? to make okay. sure I point that out. <laughs> yeah. so people are like, God, where is San Monique? It is also, that's all another rare time where San Monique is, is where, where they use fake places. Mm-hmm. They pretty much always use real locations and will tell you the location they're in. Because that's part of the appeal to Bond is that it's you know exotic and exotic yeah. places, places you haven't been before, that type of thing. Which is another reason, you know, there's like, Going to the airport. That was exciting back in the day. Strike no. up that fucking music. We're at no. the airport. We're going somewhere. It's fucking stylish and cool. <laughs> <laughs> or he's riding on a train. Ooh, he's on a train, you say. <laughs> Even though that was around for a long time, but still it was like, that's a nice train with like cabins and beds. <laughs> <laughs> Does it have one of these? That you can roll into apparently. So yeah, that uh, another trope with Bond films is train fights mm-hmm. <laughs> fights on trains there's numerous ones with the most recent being inspector which is why it's a topic for another day but i think i i like specter a lot more than some people do mm-hmm. so it's good it considered like middling like kind of got okay reviews yeah. didn't get shit, but it didn't get like skyfall you know got it was like 90 percent. inspector's like 64 type right. of thing yeah I prefer Spectre over Skyfall. I almost prefer it over Casino Royale because I think Spectre is the more, is the best representation of like just an old school Bond movie because they bring back so many of the elements. Right. Like henchmen and more gadgets and a train fight Mm -hmm. like this one. This one, ranking the train fights is kind of hard because they're all pretty sweet, but this is another good one. Yeah. He's got the mechanical arm. Bond uses his ingenuity to. Uh, I wouldn't have thought of that, probably, and it, uh, of cutting the wires. But then again, I'm also not sitting next to a wire cutters. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that was always that was a funny thing to me. It's like, uh, yeah, it's a Bond movie, but those wire cutters are right there.
1: Like <laughs> I think it was supposed to look kind of like a manicure type kit because there was like six sets yep. of like cutters. Yeah. They weren't all just, like, wire cutters. I think they were trying to play it off like it was part of her makeup kit or something.
2: Right. I think so, too.
1: But, yeah, it's, like, right there, and he just grabs it and snips his wire. And I was like,
2: why are the wires so exposed? the (laughs) second thing. Like, why couldn't you get a little, you know, panel to cover that up? I'll let it go.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And then it latches on to the window, and he throws him out. Yeah. And his arm comes off. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. And Solitaire the whole time is pissed off because she got... Throwing up into the into the well of the bed, yeah, the bed well, yeah. (laughs) That was not funny. Not a good joke. Just
2: being disarming, darling. (laughs) (laughs) Credits.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's how the movie ends. Credits. (laughs) Um, We didn't really talk about "Live and Let Die" the song, but no Paul uh, McCartney it was it's also the first one I believe fucking uh,
2: wings dude the wings <laughs> take me down to <laughs> the streets
1: hey,
2: hey. wings right
1: <laughs> living the die it's definitely it's not my favorite Bond song but it's in my top five uh,
2: I completely didn't realize until I started looking up at stuff on the movie that the song was specifically written for the James Bond movie i had mm-hmm. always known the song I mean I li- mean Live and Let Die is just, it's a pretty well-known song. And Guns and Guns and Roses did a notable cover of it. And then more recently, it was in American Hustle where uh, Jennifer, uh, why am I blanking on her last name? American Hustle.
1: What, Jennifer Lawrence?
2: Jennifer Lawrence, where she does the little song where she sings Live and Let Die or whatever while she's dancing in the kitchen of the house. Uh but yeah, it was the first James Bond song to be nominated for an Oscar. Now, there's a handful after that. It didn't win, but it was nominated back in 73. But then in 1977, The Spy Who Loved Me, the song Nobody Does It Better by Carly Simon was also nominated. And then For Your Eyes Only in 1981, a song by the same name by Sheena Easton was also nominated for an Oscar. It wasn't until 2012 in Skyfall that Adele sang Skyfall that that actually won an Oscar. Um, mm-hmm. and then it followed up in 2015 with Spectre Writings on the Wall by Sam Smith that also was nominated and won an Oscar so pretty cool um, Weird Al Yankovic actually did a parody of Live and Let Die called Chicken Pop Pie <laughs> uh, and uh, Paul McCartney actually wanted him to parody the song so it's been reported he wanted Weird Al to do one and and uh, but he actually didn't agree with what the song's title was or kind of context because mm-hmm. Paul McCartney's a vegetarian. And Weird Al understood it because he's also a vegetarian, but he still rolled with it. But yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, and I read that like Paul McCartney had never been chosen to do a song where he had to specifically do a song based off a title. Yeah. He'd always written music, obviously, with the Beatles and then the Wings and everything like that. And he did it, you know, out of art, I suppose. And this was the first time that he was commissioned to say, We need a song. It needs to be called Live and Let Die. Write it. So he ended up actually reading a bunch of the Ian Fleming novels to get more into the mood. And he said, just based off the mood of the movie, uh, in the story, kind of the smooth and then kind of chaotic and stuff. that's why if you listen to live and Let die thinking of it, it's, that's kind of how it goes. Mm-hmm. They're singing and then it's da-na-na, da-na-na, da-na-na and then it yeah. slows down again. so that's yeah, pretty interesting.
1: hmm I also want to point out um, something else I read that feed you know, kind of feeds into the black exploitation aspect. While filming Diamonds Are Forever, Live and Let Die was chosen as the next Ian Fleming novel to be adapted because screenwriter Tom Mankiewicz thought it would be daring to use black villains, as the Black Panthers and other racial movements were active at this time. Guy Hamilton was again chosen to direct, and since he was a jazz fan, Mankiewicz suggested the film in New Orleans. Hamilton did not want to use Mardi Gras since Thunderball featured uh, Junkanoo, which is like a similar festival or something. So after more discussions with the writer and location scouting with helicopters, he decided to use two well-known features of the city: the jazz funerals and the canals. Huh. So yeah, you can see how all that also feeds into the history, the social zeitgeist of the time, with the Black Panthers, racial movement. Um, mm-hmm. It also be it would also in the early '70s, it would have probably been more fashionable to be on so the. <laughs> the the right side you know on the side of the blacks for civil rights mm-hmm. by then so i'm sure more people were like yeah let's see let's see more black i'm sure it was almost damn near a you know an oscar so white controversy right back then they're like there's no movies with black people in them we demand us you know it wasn't exactly like that but it was something similar right
2: but that feeds into even the races the portrayal of the racist southern cop too mm-hmm. probably because if you think about it that's the only bond is british yeah so the american that's largely in front is that guy the white american cop he's just a piece of shit racist and he's a bumbling idiot type thing so you don't even i I wouldn't even necessarily say in those in those scenes with that cop are you like hoping that this racist louisiana cop catches like canega's crew you're not really shooting for that you're kind of like god this guy's a racist To the villains, like, (laughs) he's treating the villains, but, yeah.
1: According to Yafit Koto, he was not allowed to do any press for the film, nor was he allowed to attend the premiere. Koto states that the producers told him that they were afraid of the public's reaction to the villain being black. So it was definitely something they were timid about doing at the time.
2: That makes sense.
1: Unsure about public reaction, but obviously it was positive i thought more about what you
2: said in uh the fact that this is the first james bond or the only james bond that's not about taking over the world type thing like that and if you think about the context 73 so the vietnam war is i think that that went till 75 Mm -hmm. and that wasn't exactly in the u.s's favor at the time uh I mean, the the Civil Rights Movement, obviously, too, feeding into it. But it's probably the first time, I would say, in American history, in war history, that, uh, that the U.S. didn't suddenly feel like they could fucking dominate anybody in the world. So, it's probably reading into it a little too much, but it does kind of relate to the times. Mm-hmm. If you think of, even about the setting on the island, the jungle and shit like that, I mean, that fit a lot of that similar themes
1: fuck we've been talking about this movie for a lot longer than i thought we would <laughs> <laughs> i think uh i think it's probably a good spot to end at
2: yep um what do you rate this bad boy
1: uh i would say wtm what's the middle one eventually
2: wtm eventually mm-hmm. so just to remind our listeners since we got the new rating scale we got wtm asap Wtm soonish, Wtm eventually, Wtm if nothing else is on, and Wtm never. Like we, we said should before, change
1: that, the the fourth one you should just change the Wtm last resort, so they don't. That that's a really long hashtag for yeah. Wtm if nothing else is on.
2: Yeah, we can switch that. So, uh, and like we said before, the majority of the movies we talk about are gonna fall in the top three ratings. But yeah, so you're saying this isn't eventually. Mm-hmm. So before
1: you die, but no rush. Yeah. I'd agree with that. Well, reach out to us. Follow us on Twitter at WatchThisUnder... Oh, I'm sorry. Did I? Yeah, I gave mine. Are, are we both in agreement on this eventually? Yep. Okay. <laughs> Just want to make that clear. <laughs> All right. WTM eventually. Stamped. Stamped. Hashtag, right. hashtag, hashtag. hashtag. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter at watch this underscore Movie. You can email us at WatchThisMovie at Yahoo.com. Go to our website at WTMWatchThisMovie.com. And subscribe, rate, review iTunes, Stitcher. We need that. Get on that. Thank you. <laughs> check you later. Guess we'll see you around. All right, check you later. Bye. Later. Wait, man, why are you always such a dork, man? What are you talking check about? You you... Check you later. Check you later. Hey, man, you off my case.